Brothers and sisters, hear the good news. The wages of sin is death. And to have one's sins forgiven means that one must have a substitute to die in one's place. In the Bible, that substitute is a lamb. So when John the Baptist first sees Jesus in the Gospel of John, he proclaims, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To take away sin, the Lamb, that is Jesus, must be sacrificed and die in the place of sinners. And throughout the rest of Jesus' ministry, that Lamb who would be slain for the world's sin against God demonstrates his love for sinners in a multitude of ways. He celebrates with them at a wedding. He teaches them the righteousness of God. He casts away demons from them. He heals them from sicknesses and infirmities. And he sits with them at a fellowship meal. When the rest of the world would condemn those who, so, who show such kindness, love, and forgiveness, Jesus stands apart and would joyfully show that kindness, love, and forgiveness of God for those whose sins he would suffer as a substitute. Brothers and sisters, having truly confessed our sins, God himself promises you the forgiveness of the Father, the victory of the Son, and the glory and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Believe this and rejoice. And God's people say, Amen. God's word to us this morning begins in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23. Beginning in verse 29. Hear the word of the Lord. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous, and say, If we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Consequently, you bear witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How shall you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things shall come upon this generation. We'll turn now to Second Chronicles chapter 23. Beginning in verse 16. <clears throat> then Jehoiada made a covenant between himself and all the people and the king that they should be Yahweh's people. And all the people went to the house of Baal and tore it down, and they broke in pieces his altars and his images and killed Matan the priest of Baal before the altars. Moreover, Jehoiada placed the offices of the house of Yahweh under the authority of the Levitical priests, whom David had assigned over the house of Yahweh to offer the burnt offerings of Yahweh, as it is written in the law of Moses, with rejoicing and singing according to the order of David. And he stationed the gatekeepers of the house of Yahweh so that no one should enter who was in any way unclean. And he took the captains of hundreds, the nobles, the rulers of the people, and all the people of the land, and brought the king down from the house of Yahweh, and came through the upper gate to the king's house. 
and they placed the king upon the royal throne. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet, for they had put Athaliah to death with the sword. Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Zibiah from Beersheba. And Joash did what was right in the sight of Yahweh all the days of Jehoiada the priest. And Jehoiada took two wives for him, and he became the father of sons and daughters. Now it came about after this that Joash decided to restore the house of Yahweh. And he gathered the priests and Levites and said to them, Go out to the cities of Judah and collect money from all Israel to repair the house of your God annually, and you shall do the matter quickly. But the Levites did not act quickly. So the king summoned Jehoiada the chief priest and said to him, Why have you not required the Levites to bring in from Judah and from Jerusalem the levy fixed by Moses, the servant of Yahweh on the congregation of Israel, for the tent of the testimony? For the sons of the wicked Athaliah had broken into the house of God and even used the holy things of the house of Yahweh for the Baals. So the king commanded and they made a chest and set it outside by the gate of the house of Yahweh. And they made a proclamation in Judah and Jerusalem to bring to Yahweh the levy fixed by Moses, the servant of God, on Israel in the wilderness. And all the officers and all the people rejoiced and brought in their levies and dropped them into the chest until they had finished. And it came about whenever the chest was brought into the king's officer um, by the Levites, and when they saw that there was much money, then the king's scribe and the chief priest's officer would come, empty the chest, take it, and return it to its place. Thus they did daily and collected much money. And the king and Jehoiada gave it to those who did the work of the service of the house of Yahweh. And they hired masons and carpenters to restore the house of Yahweh, and also workers in iron and bronze to repair the house of Yahweh. So the workmen labored, and the repair work progressed in their hands. And they restored the house of God according to its specifications and strengthened it. And when they had finished, they brought the rest of the money before the king into Haida, and it was made into utensils for the house of Yahweh, utensils for the service and the burnt offering, and pans and utensils of gold and silver. And they offered burnt offerings in the house of Yahweh continually all the days of Jehoiada. Now when Jehoiada reached a ripe old age, he died. He was 130 years old at his death. And he buried him in the city of David among the kings, because he had done well in Israel to God and his house. But after the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. And they abandoned the house of Yahweh, the god of their fathers, and served the Asherim and the idols. So wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this their guilt. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to Yahweh. Though they testified against them, they would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came on Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest. And he stood above the people and said to them, Thus God has said, Why do you transgress the commandments of Yahweh and do not prosper? Because you have forsaken Yahweh, he has also forsaken you. So they conspired against him, and at the command of the king, they stoned him to death in the court of the house of Yahweh. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which his father Jehoiada had shown him, but he murdered his son. And as he died, he said, May Yahweh see and avenge. Now it came about at the turn of the year that the army of the Arameans came up against him, and they came to Judah and Jerusalem, destroyed all the officials of the people from among the people, and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. Indeed, the army of the Arameans came with a small number of men, yet Yahweh delivered a very great army into their hands, because they had forsaken Yahweh, the God of their fathers. 
Thus they executed judgment on Joash. And when they had departed from him, for they left him very sick, his own servants conspired against him because of the blood of the son of Jehoiada the priest and murdered him on his bed. So he died and they buried him in the city of David, but they did not bury him in the tomb of the kings. Now these are those who conspired against him, Zabad the son of Shimeath, the Ammonitus, and Jehizabad the son of Shemrith, the Moabitus. As to his sons and the many oracles against him and the rebuilding of the house of God, behold, they are written in the treaties of the book of the kings. Then Amaziah, his son, became king in his place. If you would, please turn with me to the back of your bulletins. We'll read together as a congregation, Psalm 58. Psalm 58. Do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? Do you judge the children of man uprightly? No, in your hearts you devise wrongs. Your hand deals out of violence on earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. They have venom like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adder that stops its ear. They have hear the voice of charmers or of the cunning enchanter. O God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime, like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's about on prayer. Father, your word tells us that the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. But fools despise knowledge and understanding. Help us to fear today. Fear because we know you are the judge and you do call us to account. To fear in the sense of revere, reverence who you are because you have taken away our sin by judging our Savior in our place. And fear in the sense of respect to hold you in awe. You are the God of the universe. Speak to us this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The eye that mocks a father and scorns a mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles will devour it. Do you feel encouraged? God doesn't mess around. And we take his word often too lightly. 
Now, I suppose there's a bit of a figure of a speech in there because uh, there have been a lot of people of curse, and I don't think that's talking about the word cuss. But this is one thing that Joash did. He cursed his stepfather by putting him to death. When it says at the end of the cult of worship, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. It's not talking about missing church a Sunday or two. But of course, on Sunday, there's no better place to be meeting with the Lord. But it's talking about people who abandon the assembly because they're done. They may say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. Christ has died and paid for my sins. I believe that. But I don't like going to church. I don't like the people. They're hypocrites. That's why the trouble in the warning happens. So if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, well, what do we get? We get judgment. Now, mind you, all of us sin willfully. There's not one of us here who doesn't sin willfully. We look at something, we know we should do it or should not do it, and we do the opposite. But what he's talking about sinning willfully here is once you've come to the truth and then you walk away from it, God's not playing around. So when we come to the children of Israel, God marked them out as his people. And when they abandoned him, left God, worshipped other idols, he didn't mess around. He sent armies after them. He destroyed their land. He sent drought. He sent COVID. He's not messing around. The funny thing is, when we come to Joash, which I told you his name probably means Yahweh is fire. Yah is fire. He served the Lord all the days of his stepfather, the priest Jehoiada. Yahweh knows. But when Jehoiada died at a ripe old age of 130, lived 10 years longer than Moses, the lawgiver, then certain men came and bowed down before him, and he abandoned the house of God, and he went after the asterisk, which is poles, representations of female gods in the Canaanite pantheon. 
So he leads the people astray to worship the gods of the people whom Israel had thrown out of the land. God, we trust these Canaanite gods more than we trust you. They'll get for us what we want. No, when God tags you, election, calls you to himself, and he says, you're mine. And mind you, all of Israel was tagged because they were circumcised. And of circumcision, it says, I will be their God and you'll be my people. You're God's people. Now, of course, circumcision didn't mean when you die, you'd be with the Lord or go to heaven. It didn't mean that. It was just God saying, hey, you're mine. You abandon me, I'll get you. Well, we're in 2 Chronicles chapter, and I just pulled out Hebrews, in 2 Chronicles chapter 23, and we're going to be looking mostly at 24. And uh, we noticed that Joash was uh, saved by the high priest's wife, Joshabetheth, which is Yahweh takes an oath, and he made a Davidic oath. He was unwilling to destroy Joram, we're told back in chapter 21, because he promised a light to the sons of David forever. And of course, the light's dawn, and we know that light, and the light will never die now. He's seated at the right hand of God in heaven. He was walking around the world as light, and he said, listen, watch while you have the light. The light's not always going to be with you, and sure enough, our world is lacking that light because he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, but he sent lesser lights. He's the sun, we're the stars, and we're the light. And we're to shine so that people see the sun, the bright light. Well, <clears throat> Athaliah, his grandmother, was going to put him to death like his brothers and sisters. We don't know how many brothers and sisters there were. We weren't told. We know that Ahaziah, when he came to the throne, he was young. He couldn't have had that many children. But uh, he was hidden away in a bedroom. The word in Hebrew can mean either a bed or a beer, that is, a casket. And when you come to the end of the story, he's put away in a beer, a casket. So he's, he's doomed to death as if he's in a casket. He's brought to life and he lives in such a way, well, it looks good, looks good, looks good. Then it's really bad, and he is put to death by two people. One a Moabitess, one a Ammonitess. One's name means he hands out, 
The other's name is Yahweh hands out. And their mother's name, one name means to hear, and the other means to keep. In other words, God hands out judgment. And these two men took his life. God means business. The church today is, a, is, a, is I, I don't know what the right word is, a, a little wishy-washy, a little, oh yeah, I can do that and Jesus will forgive me. We all think that way just a little bit, don't we? And right now, the church is in trouble, the country is in trouble, because God is unhappy with our nation and with his people. God means business. Well, now, it looks like a great thing, if you would turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 23, and there, after uh, Joash has the crown, the uh, crown that uh, is a Natser, thinking of a Nazarite vow, he's holy for the Lord, and he has the, he's given the testimony. The testimony is uh, maybe a reference, some people think, to some kind of bandy war on his arm. I don't think that's what it is. I think the testimony is, well, if you open up the ark, and you look in there, there is the testimony, two tablets of stone, the covenant. Now he's handed a copy, a testimony of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. You're the king, you're the judge, you rule, you rule by this covenant. Well, they put Athaliah to death because she had been queen over the country for six years, leading them away into Baal worship. And now her end has come. And verses 16 to the end of the chapter start this restoration era. And it's a restoration of God's house and the king's house. The houses are side by side. Here's God's house, and over on God's right hand is the king's house. And of course, here sits God, and over here, when Joash is sit down on the throne, he is what? He is the son of God. I'll be a father to him, and he'll be a son to me, says the Davidic covenant. Over here's God, over here's the son. And so you go through chapter 16, there's a restoration Notice verse 16, uh, excuse me, chapter 23, verse 16. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between himself and all the people and the king that they should be Yahweh's people. So the first thing Jehoiada does, who's restoring all of this, the high priest, is, as we said last week, he restores the covenant. Now, this people that has been Baal people, no longer. Now we're Yahweh people. And Yahweh people do what? They live by covenant. There's all kinds of uh, things to say about covenant, but just for our purposes, they're going to live by the covenant law. 
they're going to they're going to do just that they're going to be at god's house they're going to be for god whatever god wants that's who they are they are god's people now by covenant they're marked out as yahweh people and look at verse 17 and all the people they go and they tear down all the Baal stuff and they kill the priest of Baal, Matin, which means gifts given. No, God gives the gifts. No other God gives gifts. Only Yahweh God gives gifts. So they crush the idols. They tear it all down. Why? Because when you're God's people, when you're Jesus' people, you can't have any other gods. That's the first stipulation of the covenant. You shall have no other gods before me. No other gods. I'm it. It's God's people who reels, hey, you know, this group of people here, this is God's wife. And God's a jealous God, just like Proverbs 6 says about men. Men are jealous. You go mess around with somebody's wife, Proverbs 6 tells you, here burned with fire, that jealousy will not cease. You cannot satisfy it. You go mess around on God with another God? <laughs> God's a jealous God. So, restoration's taking place. The covenant is restored. They're demonstrating that they're going to be just the people of God. And then in verse 18, the sacrifices are restored, the uh, offerings are restored, and in verse 19, that is the ascension offering, which we're going to talk about here in just a minute again. The ascension offering is restored, and then in verse, ni verse 19, the, the Levites are stationed so that no one unclean can enter Yahweh's house. And he took the captains of the hundreds, the nobles, the rulers of the people, and all the people of the land, and brought the king down from the house of Yahweh and came through the upper gate into the king's house. And they placed the king upon the royal throne. So here comes this little pipsqueak boy, seven years old. And he's got a big crown on his head. He's got a copy of the covenant in his hands. And he's standing by the pillar in front of the temple. And now they bring him to his house and they sit him on the Davidic throne. So Yahweh's house is put in order. The burnt offerings are going up again. And the king's house is set in order. There's no woman sitting on the throne. Did you hear me? No woman sitting on the throne. Oh, now you heard me. Well, of course, the Davidic covenant means it will always be a male. Does that mean women shouldn't be presidents of the United States or other countries? Well, you know, there have been some important people in the Bible 
who were rulers of a country. So you have to give some thought to that. We're not going to answer that today. But in Israel, no, it cannot be a woman. It has to be a man. And so Athaliah, she's afflicted by God in death. And now Joash, Yahweh's fire. Yahweh is a consuming fire. Seven years old, he sits down on the throne and all things are right. So all the people of the land rejoiced and the city was quiet, undisturbed, for they had put Athaliah to death with the sword. Now when you come to chapter 24, then we're going to start talking specifically about the reign of Joash. But in talking about the reign of Joash, we're still talking about restoration because what, what Joash decides to do is to restore the house of God. Uh, it, it has a little bit to do with worship, but mostly the house is run down, as we'll see in a minute. Uh, Athaliah and the Baal worshipers, they, they came into Yahweh's house and they stole his stuff. And they ran off with it. Gold and silver pans and all kinds of stuff. They stole it. They used it for Baal. So it says in chapter 24, verse 1, Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Zibia from Beersheba, and Zibia means gazelle. I'm sure there's a reason for that. I don't know what it is. See, if you knew how much I didn't know, you wouldn't listen to me. And Joash did what was right in the sight of Yahweh all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Now, this word is a word that means straight. You walk a straight path or a smooth path. He did the right thing. So he did it until Jehoiada died. Then he wasn't straight anymore. We'll have to ask the question, what was he then? This is the measure of the kings. So in the next chapter, it's going to say that Amaziah did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a whole heart. In the next chapter, Uzzah did what was right in the sight of the Lord as his father did. That means he didn't do it with a whole heart because that was the measure of his father. So, you see, you can see there's a problem. This rightness, this whatever you want to call it, is temporary. <clears throat> so it says in verse 3, and Jehoiada took two wives for him, and he became the father of sons and daughters. So, two wives. Well, all the royal seed's been destroyed. Joash is the only one left standing. Uh, I'm sure he didn't get two wives at seven years old. They waited a while, but he probably got wives very young, say 15, 16. He gets two wives. And uh, lots of kings had many wives. Here, Jehoiada gives him two wives, and you would think, well, no, 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 that's not right. And 
you know, technically it's not right. It is something that God tended to overlook under the old covenant. And it wasn't like everybody in Israel did such a thing because pretty much you had to be wealthy to, you know, have more than one wife. But he gave them two wives because they needed royal seed. Okay, then verses 4 through 14 then are about this collection of money to restore, repair the temple and uh, the utensils that service at the temple. God's stuff. It's all holy stuff. means it's set aside, it's owned by God. And if you look down in verse 7, it says, For the son, for the, the sons of the wicked Athaliah, had broken into the house of God and even used the holy things of the house of Yahweh for the Baal. So the place is dilapidated, the stuff is gone, it's been taken away. And so what, what, jo, what jo, Joash says is, okay, let's restore, let's restore the temple. And he becomes like David, and Solomon. David got all the stuff together and the plans, and Solomon built the, 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 the temple, and now Joash is going to be a repairer of the temple, and there are going to be other kings that come and repair again because the nation slips away and trouble comes. So he wants to collect money, and he wants to use a levy. It's called a levy here in the New American Standard. He wants to use a levy and he wants the priests and the Levites to travel around the land and get this done quickly, start collecting money from all the people, and get back up here and let's get this show on the road and get it done. And then nothing happens. So he calls in the high priest, the head of the priests and the Levites, and he says, you know, what's going on here? Now, we don't have all the information we have another accounting in 2 Kings. We're not going to take time to look at it. But pretty much everyone thinks along the line that uh, Jehoiada didn't do anything because the king was going about it incorrectly. He wanted the levy of Moses. The levy of Moses is found in Exodus chapter 30, verses 11 through 16. It's a little paragraph about going to war, holy war, which is significant then as we bring the whole context in here. They're not going to holy war. They are doing holy war. That is, they've already killed, they've already killed Athaliah, and now they're trying to get the house fixed up that she was destroying. So they're involved in holy war, or you might say the aftermath of holy war. And in Exodus chapter 30, verses 11 through 16, your Bible may not translate it this way, but it's when you take an accounting, when you number the people, to muster them, that is, to gather an army. They each have to have a contribution of a half a shekel, the shekel of the sanctuary, 
because the shekel of the sanctuary is heavier than the sexual, sexual <laughs> shekel of uh, commerce. And so they have to change their money into sanctuary money and then give a half a shekel. And as each person is counted, they're walking by, they take their shekel and they drop it into something. So finally, this is what's done in uh, Judah and Jerusalem. So uh, we, we know from 2 Kings that Jehoiada built a chest. And it's got a hole in the top. So when people walk by, they can just drop their little shekel right in there and keep on marching this way. You know, you have a few hundred thousand people who got to do this. It's, it's going to take some time. The word chest is the word ark. So inside the building is the Ark of the Covenant that contains the testimony, the covenant. And outside, as people are walking by, is a chest that's also called an Ark. Clearly, the two have to match up some well, somehow. When you drop your shekel into the ark, the chest, you're given a contribution for a covering, a ransom. Because God is mustering an army. And when God musters an army, it's his holy army. And this Israel army is a heavenly army. It's God's host. Now, I'm just going to give you some information. You may or may not know this. We're not going to take time to look it all up. It would take a long time to explain all the passages and look at them. But you remember that in Numbers, people wear a garment that has four wings. And on the wings are tassels. And one of the tassels has a little blue thread on it. Because Israel's not supposed to have blue. That's holy. But they have garments that have wings. Why? Because, j j just think now, tabernacle. The tabernacle is a horizontal uh, structure, but it's built in such a way that you know it's vertical. When you walk and you're going through, you're going from earth into the firmament, and then when you cross through the firmament, you go into the holy of holies, you're going into the highest heaven. Well, out in the ferment, where the sun, moon, and stars are, that host of God, that's where the host of Israel, in picture, flies. They got wings on their garments. They fly. They're like angels. And they go to war, holy war. And if you're used by God in holy war, you've got to be holy. And so you drop in your shekel, half shekel, as a covering so that no plague befalls the army. If there's a holy guy, unholy guy in there, he's going to mess up the army. Now, we know this is the case. What I'm telling you, I'm, I'm not making this up. We know this by the book of Numbers. In the first four chapters, you read those, you know, you, you wonder what in the world is this all here for? I've got to read all these numbers. Blah, 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 blah. 
354,560, you know, everybody's being numbered. And it's the mustering of the army. And the numbers are not, well, this is just happened to be how many men from 20 years old and up were in the tribe of Judah. And this just happens to be how many men from the, the tribe of Reuben from 20 years old up were in Reuben's tribe. Those are not, it's not just happening. God is sovereign. He makes it happen. And you can take the time and you will discover all those numbers are astral numbers. They speak about stars and planets to show us this Israel is a heavenly army. And when they fly in heaven, in a picture, when they march out to battle, and remember the angel of Yahweh came to Joshua, and Joshua said, Who are I am the head of the army. I'm the captain of Yahweh's army. Well, who, would, who might that be? Nowadays, who might that be? Well, of course, it's Jesus. He's the king. He's the head of the army. Well, is the church like that? And the answer is, yes, this is what the church is. In the Old Testament, we talk about warriors, which are almost always men. But then we talk about the nation as a whole, as a warrior bride, the church is Jesus' warrior bride. Doesn't matter what sex you are, you're in the church, you're part of this army. How do I know you're part of this army and you're like Israel of old in heaven? Because Paul tells us. We were raised up with him and seated in heavenly places. Some people say, well, that's our position. That's where we'll, we'll be. No, that's not right. That's where we are. And every time we come on Sunday, the host is gathered. And what happens on Sunday? Well, we see it as a room here, but we're told we enter the holy place. What happens on Sunday? is this is the meeting of the warriors with the captain and they're going to go out and fight. This is the most important hour of the week because this is Jesus and his army taking the world to battle and he means business. And so in chapter 24, verses 4 through 14, this is what Joash did. And it finally got straight, and all the money came, and it looks a little different than Exodus, but there's no doubt that, that, that that's what this is, because the nation is a warrior bride. And all the money's dropped in, and now, Joash with the high priest and all the people, they're going to do God's bidding. And in verse 14, everything is finished, and the 
Ascension offerings begin. Written as a burnt offering in your Bible. Remember, the word burnt's not there. You burn the offering up, but that's not the word in the Hebrew. The word in the Hebrew is ascend, because when you take an animal and you slit its throat, and just as the ascension offering, you skin the skin off, and then the whole animal gets burned, and what happens? The fire, the smoke rises up to God, and God <sighs> smells it in, eats it, and he is soothed and at rest with his people. So all the repairs are done. All the people have given their shekel. The host is mustered. And the mention is of an ascension offering. And the ascension offering for all the days of Jehoiada goes up. Evening and morning sacrifice. An ascension. What is that? Well, it's, it's you see, when, when, when you go up to the tabernacle, you bring your own burnt offering. You bring your own tribute offering. You bring your own peace offering. But the one that's offered in the morning and the evening, it is a corporate offering. And it's the picture of the hosts, all the people going up before God. It's tremendous. We don't think that way. We think individually. Too much individually. We need to think corporately. We are God's people together. And so, Joash has done a great thing. He's repaired the place where God lives on earth in picture. And, and now things are functioning correctly. All of God's stuff has been recovered Remade, rebuilt, brought back in. And then comes the rest of the story. Look at uh, chapter 24, verse 15. Now when Jehoiada had reached an old, ripe old age, he died. He was 130 years old at his death. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings, because he had done well in Israel and to God and his house. Now, I know I'm going to run out of time. It's okay. I, I have to say this. As you look, we don't, we're not going to take time to look at it, but if you look at the kings... Some kings didn't get buried because they were cursed. Some kings didn't get buried in Jerusalem because they didn't deserve it. Some kings got buried in the city of David, but not among the kings because they weren't faithful enough. And some kings got buried in the city of David among the kings because they were considered faithful to be there. Burial makes a difference in the Bible. And we have spurned it today for money. We're willing to do fire. But in the Bible, when you burned a body, that was a curse. The person was cursed. You burned them up. But we say, oh, it's only symbolism. It doesn't really matter. 
And I say to that, baloney. It does matter. Because we want to be like our Lord who was buried. Now, are people going to get burnt up in house fires? Of course they are. Are people going to be lost at sea and we don't see anybody? Of course they are. It makes no difference. All of that God's in control of. The one thing he's put us in control of is how we bury our people. And the goal is not to save money. The goal is to put somebody in the ground and they will rise from the dead. Well, you say to me, well, look, it's been 2,000 years and all those people are buried. There's nothing there. I know that. That's not the point. The point is, when you go to the cemetery and you put your husband or your wife or your child or your brother or your sister or your parents in the ground, you know what you're doing. And you know what the Bible says. And Jehoiada was not a king, but he was ascribed as a king by where he was buried. That's quite something. In a picture, he has acted like king, and Jehoiada is the picture of the bringing together of the king and the high priest into one person, which is what happens when Christ comes. He's both king and priest. Jehoiada was high priest. Yahweh knows and Jehoiada was buried with the kings. He's a king. After Israel and Judah were taken into slavery out into Babylon and Assyria, there was no more king of Israel. The high priest acted as king until the high priest king came in person. Now, look down at verse 17. That says I have five more minutes. But after the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and bowed down to the king and the king listened to them. And they abandoned. Do not abandon the assembling of yourselves together is of that, as is the habit of some. And they abandoned, often translated, as you'll see in just a minute, forsook. The house of Yahweh, the God of their fathers, and they served the Asherim and the idols. So wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this their guilt. This guy who reigned for 40 years, and now we're near down the end of the 40 years, the one who's initiated a lot of the restoration to help muster the nation, bring them back to Yahweh. Now 
Some guys bow down to him, and he leaves God's house. He abandons God's house, and he leaves God, and he goes after female goddesses of the Canaanite pantheon. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to Yahweh, but though they testified against them, they did not listen. Then the Spirit of God came on Zechariah, Yahweh remembers, the son of Jehoiada, the high priest. In Matthew it says, Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. Did Matthew make a mistake? Did the Holy Spirit make a mistake? No, you got to be brighter than that. Berechiah comes from the word to bless, to be a blessing. Zechariah, the son of the blessing. What was Jehoiada? Yahweh knows. He was the blessing to this nation, to Joash. He and his wife adopted Joash, brought him in, raised him up, hid him. He became king under Jehoiada. But the Spirit of God came on Zechariah. Yahweh remembers the son of Jehoiada. Yahweh knows this priest and stood above the people and said to them, Thus God said, Why do you uh, transgress the commandments of Yahweh? You know, transgress, you go across them. You make them different. Why do you transgender? Go across gender. Make yourself something different. God doesn't think lightly of that. Why do you transgress the commandments of Yahweh and do not prosper? Here's why. Because you have forsaken, abandoned Yahweh. He has also abandoned you. And this is the word that just runs over and over and over and over through Chronicles. If you draw near to him, if you seek him out, he'll let you find him. If you seek for him, drash, you seek for him, he'll, he'll let you find him. But if you forsake him, if once you've found him, for if you go on sinning willfully after coming to the knowledge of the truth, what is it awaits you? Friends, we have mushed, mushed, smashed down the warnings of Scripture and say, that could never happen to me because I'm saved and he holds me fast. That's true. problem is you got an E on your forehead that says elect no no it's not that we can't be sure of our salvation but over here you have sovereignty and over here you have human responsibility <laughs> nobody's ever figured out how those work together over here, you have eternal salvation. And over here, you have departure. And we say, ah, oh, logic says that can't be. And so we turn God's warnings into nothing. 
And that cannot be. He warns. Because we can have assurance of salvation. But we can't walk around thinking, oh man, I'm so secure, I could never do that. That's not true. Hundreds of thousands of people who called themselves Christian and were sure of their salvation have left the faith. We have to be careful how we play in systematic theology with God's Word. It's our friend, but we've made it our enemy. We can't read the Bible straight anymore. So he says, I've forsaken you. And uh, because you've forsaken me. So they conspired against him. And at the command of the king, they stoned him to death in the court of of the house of Yahweh. Thus, Joash the king did not remember the kindness, the faithfulness which his father Jehoiada had shown him. But he, uh, but he murdered, he murdered his son. He murdered Jehoiada's natural son. And as he died, he said, May Yahweh see and avenge. Now, we know Yahweh provides Abrahamic covenant. Yahweh sees, that's the word. May he avenge. Yahweh avenge. Well, yeah, that's what it says. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Only, this word isn't vengeance here in the Hebrew. It's the word seek. If you seek me, I'll let you find me. If you forsake me, I will seek you. And guess what? I will find you, and I will judge you. Okay, I know I'm a little over time. This is, this is crucial. We should sing songs, He Will Hold Me Fast. 1 Peter 4, chapter 1 tells us, He holds us fast through our faith. Lots of people think they have faith when apparently they don't have faith. We've got to take the Bible for what it says. So, we hold tightly. Ah, yeah. I trust Christ because he gave this faith to me as a gift, and he will hold me to it. We hold that tight. And we look at our life, and we say, oh, look how God's changed me over all of these years. Yes, I, I belong. I, I don't have doubts. But over here, we read a warning, and we don't say, oh, I could never do that because God will hold me fast and thus make nothing of God's word. Now, I know there are people who like to do exegetical gymnastics and say, well, it's written there just to encourage you to hold fast. No, it's written there to tell you if you don't hold fast, this is what happens. How do you bring the two together? Well, we're not told to try that part. 
So, Jehoiada is put to death by two nations that rose out of two women who raped their father. What a way to die. Let's stand. Father, we are grateful, just like Hebrews tells us, that we can come into your presence because of the blood of Christ. And that's where we lean. That's where we stand. That's what we believe. And we know you promise to hold us fast. On the other hand, you warn us, you warn us don't do this as if we could do it. And we've uh, seen a lot of people do such a thing. And what we say is, well, they just never really had faith. But of course, that's our conclusion. That is not what your word says. Now, how to make it all make sense? Maybe we don't know that, Lord. So we, we just come to you and we say we thank you for the gift of Christ, eternal life that is free. And we thank you that you've given it to us. And we thank you that you promised to hold us fast. And now help us to be faithful to you by taking seriously the warnings you give us in Scripture. Thank you for your word. In Christ's name, amen.